if someone needs some advice or counsel about where to go to college or some aspect of a job search, will you send them down to the counselor? We're talking about something a lot bigger than that, aren't we? Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry? or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church. And what does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action. Today we're talking to Mr. Scott Grass, who's the superintendent at Faith Christian School, which is a ministry that our church had the privilege of starting 24 years ago. Scott was one of our initial hires at the school. And here at Faith, we have the privilege of having 175 staff members spread out among our different ministries. And I am so thankful for the many women and men who have served for decades now. They're just something wonderful and beautiful about long-term faithfulness, long-term relationships. You're able to do life together. Scott's one of those guys. He was willing to leave the previous school that he was teaching in in order to help us start this brand new Christian school. Then our former administrator was ready to retire, and he recommended that Scott would become our administrator, now with the superintendent of our school. The school has grown dramatically for sure, but there's no question about this. This is a great illustration, I think, of the difference between a church having a counseling center and a church being a counseling center. In other words, what we want to explore today with Scott is how do these principles of biblical progressive sanctification the sufficiency of the scripture, the beauty of the gospel, how does that impact school life? So what does counseling look like student to student, teacher to student, teacher to teacher, teacher to parent? There's such a a web of relationships in an academic setting. And also the truth of the matter is a, a Christian school can either be a great friend to biblical progressive sanctification or not. Because if a Christian school has adopted all sorts of secular thinking in their approach to counseling and in their approach to human relationships, what's being taught on Sundays from the Word of God in the pulpit could be dramatically different than what's actually acted out in school life, even though the educational institution calls itself a Christian school. So it's so very, very important if we're seeking to make disciples that we're sure that all of this fits together well. And by God's grace, Scott and many others on our faculty have been working at that very matter for a long, long time now. So Scott, it's really a privilege to have you today. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. I think maybe it'd be helpful just start by telling us a bit about the, the history of Faith Christian School. You were there from day one, and I really do thank the Lord on behalf of our school family and church family for you and others like you. But can you tell us a little bit about the history of the school? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, I've enjoyed the privilege of serving at Faith Christian School for the past 24 years. We took an unusual ride, if you will. When we started, we started with a high school, and that's just unheard of. 
but uh, there were several other Christian elementary schools and middle schools in our town, but there were no high schools. So I think one of the unique factors of starting a Christian school with the high school is really, really interesting. And that first year was wild. It was just a lot of fun. We started with 45 students, if I remember, and a team of about four or five full-time people. And just the hearts of those servants and the teachers and the administrators just were on display every day. And uh, year two, we were able to add a middle school. And then several years after that, we added our elementary schools and our preschools. I think one of the things that stood out to me was just from day one, the goal of the school was to be in a position to assist parents and to strengthen local churches. And I I think that that was on display from day one. We wanted to help strengthen parents because parenting is difficult, but it's very rewarding. And we say many times, we are a lot of times with the students more than the parents are. And so what a great opportunity to partner with parents. It's kind of like running a relay race where the, the parent drops their kid off like a baton in the morning. We take that baton and we hopefully shepherd that young person throughout the day. And then when it's time to put the child back into the car, we want to hand that baton back off to the parent without missing a step. And that's very rewarding. It's a challenge but it's very rewarding to see that opportunity played out every day. I'm humbled to think in our student body now of 640 students, we have the opportunity to partner with over 115 local churches. And you just start doing the math and nine different counties. And it's just remarkable to see the investment that parents are willing to invest into the lives of their children but also to have the ability to strengthen area churches and the relationships with pastors. And we take that very, very seriously. And so that's a great joy that I have the opportunity to see on display every day. Yeah, and I could understand somebody listening to this thinking, well, okay, what Steve and Scott are talking about is you better hire a biblical counselor as the guidance counselor. And so when somebody is really having difficulties, we send them down the hallway to talk to the biblical counselor, or if someone needs some advice or counsel about where to go to college or some aspect of a job search, will you send them down to the counselor? We're talking about something a lot bigger than that, aren't we? We're talking about how these biblical counseling principles, they penetrate and permeate every facet of church life. That's what we mean by even the name of this podcast, Biblical Counseling in Action. And so I I would just ask you, do you see these principles playing out on a regular basis throughout the school day? Absolutely. As a teacher myself, I've often thought, who knows the student the best? And that's an easy answer, the teacher, right? The teacher spends the most time of the day with that young person. So who would be the most practical person to invest biblical counseling into that student? It's the teacher. I get a little hung up with thinking about, okay, we're going to take off our counseling hat, and I'm just going to send this student down to a guidance counselor. Why? (laughs) I'm missing the best opportunity to invest in that young person. Now, could a guidance counselor be a good resource? Absolutely. 
but there is something to be said about the relationship that that student would have with that teacher and for that teacher to invest and take time to open up God's word and just say, I know that you're upset. Let's talk about that. Or, hey, it appears that you're having difficulty with this. What does God's word say about that? Hey, I saw this conflict happening out on the playground. Let's talk about that. And let's see what God's word would have us to do about that. Instead of, hey, you're bad, or, hey, you're having a problem, go down and see the counselor. Well, the counselor has no idea of what's been happening. The counselor is going to say, okay, tell me about what, you know. So I think we're just missing a golden opportunity in those situations. I remember, I think it was year one, where the, the pastor's offices were on the south end of the building and the school is on the north end of the building. And you've mentioned several times, Pastor, hey, we don't want anything happening on the north end that's not happening on the south end. And, and that really stood out to me, like the, the centrality of the scriptures will play out not only, quote-unquote, at the church end, but all through the, the building, all through the ministry and so we don't want what's happening in the school to be exclusive from what's happening in the church or the counseling ministry. And so that's really important. That impacts who I hire because I want teachers who love the opportunity to invest not only their life into a young person, but also the opportunity to carry the message of the scriptures to the young person. That plays out in who our coaches are. I've said time and time again, coaches may be some of the most influential people in the world. And I've benefited my own children in their relationships with the coaches that they have had because of our coaches. Yeah, they want to win. They're competitive. But they also want to see our students grow. They want to see them work through conflict. They want to see them grow in their relationship with Christ. And so you have all of these factors of a Christian school. You have athletics, you have fine arts, and that's great, but the goal is how are young people going to react when put in these stressful situations? Are they going to use those opportunities to glorify God, or is it just going to be a a me-first mentality? So it does encapsulate the entire school program from teaching to coaching, to clubs, specific and formal counseling times with young people. But I found the best times are just those natural times during the day when you want to have lunch with a student, when you wanna, you're on a field trip with a student, you're walking to class with students, and it kind of reminds me of the passage in Deuteronomy, right? You're walking by the way, and you're talking to your children And it's those natural times of the days when we see biblical counseling played out. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the power of the relationship between the teacher and the student. So instead of just all the time sending a student who's having trouble down to someone else, instead to benefit from that relationship that's already in place. It's interesting because in the biblical counseling world, we talk about one of the key elements of a counseling case being involvement. Mm -hmm. So 
faithful are the wounds of a friend. So if we take the time to get to know another person, uh, we learn really what's going on in their heart, Mm. and they know that we love them because we've spent time with them, they're much more likely to receive truth from the Word of God, certainly compared to someone who they might consider a stranger Mm -hmm. or someone who's just not had the time Mm -hmm. to be able to get to know them. So involvement is crucial in the biblical counseling room, but it's also very crucial in the educational setting as well, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I also appreciated the way you talked about the baton. I don't think I've ever heard you say that before, but that's very interesting that a parent has a goal with his or her child or children, and they're trying to help their children become more like Jesus Christ. They're trying to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but they also have to go to work or they have other responsibilities. So unless they're homeschooling, they're entrusting their child to someone and, and you want the direction of that baton to be the same while the child is under your care. So when the parent picks them up at the end of the day, the baton has gone further down the track, but in the same direction. Is mm-hmm. that true? Absolutely. And you're right. I, I remember those early days when the, the pastor's offices were on the south end of the building, the school was on the north end, and we talked a lot about how we wanted that to be working in tandem. We mm-hmm. wanted it to work in a way that what we were doing with our children's ministries, our youth ministries on Sunday, they would be in line with what the school was doing Monday through Friday. So when you have that combination of parents heading the same direction and a school heading the same direction and the church heading the same direction, that's putting that child in the best position Mm -hmm. to make the right decisions, isn't it? For sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I really do appreciate that. You know, we made a decision early on that we were not going to build our school by tearing down other schools. Mm-hmm. And we've tried to work very hard at building collaborative relationships with other private schools in our town and in public schools in our town. Is that true? Absolutely. But on, on the other hand, there's no question that what sets us apart and other schools like ours apart is our unique Christian philosophy of ministry. And that's more important than anything else is our philosophy of ministry. And I just heard a story recently about um, a parent who sent her children to a supposedly Christian camp. And the first night, the counselor is sitting around with the girls and saying, okay, what pronouns do you want us to use to address you? Later that evening, one of the young girls was allowed to unfurl a gay rights flag. And this is at a supposedly Christian camp. And you can just imagine parents who are trying to lead their children in a particular way, and yet they find out that they've entrusted a supposed Christian camp who's taking their child's baton in a totally different direction, right? Mm -hmm. So if you pick that child up at the end of the week, the baton has gone further, but in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. That would certainly upset a a parent, and that's what we're trying not to be. Would that be the case? Exactly. Can you talk to us a little bit about just student-to-student relationship? Because you put 20 kids in the same room or whatever the number is, and you mentioned over 600 kids in our school together. There's going to be some sparking. Is that true? Sparking is a good term, yeah. (laughs) Not all are perfect pictures of Christ just yet. Right. Just like none of the rest of us are. How do you find biblical counseling principles playing out in the way you're trying to help students address those kind of interpersonal relationship problems? That's a great question. 
Last year, we spent a lot of time talking about unity. It was just a crazy year last year. Uh, so the issue of unity came up a lot. And Ephesians 4 has a lot to talk about. Uh, unity, walking together, working together. I have the opportunity to interact a lot with our seniors. I teach senior Bible class. One of the groups that I rub shoulders a lot with is our senior council. So I remember I was working with our senior council, and usually it's four boys, four girls, five boys, five girls, whatever. And so I remember in July last year, we were up in the hallway, and we were sitting, for whatever reason, girls on one side, guys on the other. And I looked at one of the boys, and I said, hey, when's the last time that you had lunch with one of these young ladies? And his face turns beet red. He said, never. I'm like, what? Never? And I just went down the line of the boys. When's the last time you had lunch? They've never had lunch together. I'm like, what do you guys do? You're seniors. What's your relationships like? And so they were very, very transparent with me. They're like, it appears that we have become so engrossed with ourselves. Hmm. Fascinating. Instead of really developing our relationships. And it, that was a hallmark moment for that group because it was like, they were like, okay, we'll show you, Mr. Grass. So after that meeting, they went down to Chili's all together. <laughs> they took a selfie of them all. And it was, even through the craziness of COVID, that group's relationships from that day was just, I don't know, that was the start. And they graduated in May, and they took another selfie. And you could just see the difference between, because I pulled up both pictures, the genuineness of those relationships from July to May was remarkable. So we invest a lot of time in relationships with our young people because we live in a digital age that doesn't promote relationships. It promotes isolation, right? And so we have to work hard at that. I'm getting ready to take an overnight trip with our senior council, and I've already told them, leave your cell phones at home. Hmm. We're not, we don't need them. You know, we're getting ready to take our annual senior leadership retreat to Twin Lakes Camp. Leave your cell phones at home. We're taking a discipleship trip at the end of August down to Tennessee. We're taking 10 students whitewater rafting. Leave your cell phones at home. So the interpersonal relationships with our young people are hugely important because that's just part of growing our relationships, not only with one another, but ultimately with the Lord, right? So I see biblical counseling played out every day in the relationships with our young people. And it's wild sometimes because we have kindergarten through 12th grade all in the same building. So one minute, I can be talking to two kindergartners about their relationships with each other. And why did you punch him? And why did you kick her? You know, And trying to get through to a five-year-old and a six-year-old using biblical principles is a challenge but what better place to start? And then you go into the challenging middle school years, you know, and talking about some of the temptations that these young people are facing and some of the messages of the world. And so what does the Bible say about that? And then all the way up into our high school and what path are you on and and what do you hope to do with your life? And all of these topics 
are centralized and answers are found in God's Word. Our kids have a lot of voices telling them who they are and what they should be doing, and that can be pretty loud noise for some of them. But if we keep coming back to, hey, we we know what the world's saying, but you're communicating to me that you feel and you believe that God's Word is truth. So what are you going to believe? Yeah. Right? And just walking through that is just really, really rewarding. It's humbling. As a teacher in a Christian school, it could be real easy to kind of blow that off, but we have to really be committed to taking time to seek God's truth and to make sure that we're communicating that truth. So are you saying that when there are problems that come up between student to student, instead of just dealing with them behaviorally or administering some sort of discipline or whatever it is, that staff and administration look for counseling opportunities. So we're going to bring God's Word to bear. Mm -hmm. We're going to help those young people unpack not just what happened behaviorally, but Mm -hmm. what was going on in their heart. We're going to try to bring about biblical repentance and confession and forgiveness. We're going to bring Jesus into the room. So the student may not have thought of it as a counseling session. The teacher may not have used the word counseling. There's a sense in which we're trying to do student-on-student problem solving using these exact same principles that would also be fleshed out in a counseling room. Absolutely. And we also try in those opportunities with students to students, before they leave the office, we're calling their parents. And we're putting their parents on speakerphone and the kids, their eyes are getting like, yeah, I'm going to call your dad. I'm going to call your mom because we're partnering, yeah. right? We're partnering. And so let's talk about the situation. Let's talk about what happened. Let's talk about your response. Let's talk about the other kid's response. And let's talk about, hey, as much as possible, you've reconciled this. You've sought repentance. And now what are the next steps? Well, the next step is, hey, let's change our behavior. Let's work on our heart. Let's have a good relationship with the other person. Is there a sense then in which, Scott, that also becomes an opportunity to model for that parent? What does progressive sanctification look like in the moment? Because any parent, we struggle with knowing exactly what to say, exactly what to do. And it sounds to me like the school staff can actually assist parents in part just by bringing them into that conversation and hopefully modeling counseling principles that will allow the parent to use that in other challenges they're going to face. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great opportunity. I know, again, parenting is difficult. And when you get a call from the administrator from the school, it's like, oh man, what, what now? And so some parents can become defensive or some parents can maybe say, you know, well, my son or my daughter, they would never do that, right? <laughs> and some parents have responded like, well, are you calling my son a liar or, you know, responding? No, we're not saying that. We're saying that, you know, they lied in this situation, but that's not their identity, right? And so it does create just unique and fruitful opportunities in the relationship that we have with parents. This will be my 35th year in education and uh, been in all kinds of settings and have enjoyed every year. But a lot of times schools are trying to be islands of themselves and not involve parents. 
And I can understand that in some regards, but I feel like that misses the mark, that misses our mission because we are trying to partner as much as possibly with parents. And for them not to be aware of these situations, I think that's a great disservice. Well, and you know, you mentioned just one aspect of that where a parent might become defensive or might be unwilling to even consider a way that their son or daughter may have sinned. In the counseling world, that gets right at the issue of anthropology, mm-hmm. and it gets at the issue of whether we really believe in the depravity of man, ourselves, and everyone else, and whether we're going to be honest about that, mm-hmm. not as an end in itself, but as a beginning point, then to be truthful about what actually occurred in that moment, but also then purposive in leading us to the shed blood of Christ and the possibility of being forgiven by his shed blood. And maybe for a student who doesn't, or a parent who doesn't genuinely know Christ, Mm -hmm. an opportunity to admit their need and place their faith and trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. And so it is possible that in the kind of conversation you're talking about, there needs to be a correction in that parent's fundamental anthropology. Mm -hmm. And so by bringing that concept to bear in the conversation, you could dramatically change the way that parent thought about parenting. Absolutely. Yeah. What about when there's some sort of a difficulty between the parent and the teacher? How do you keep those relationships heading the right direction? And how do you see those kinds of interactions? Maybe it's even about a lost homework assignment, something that's relatively minor or just a seeming irritant. Do those ever become counseling situations? Absolutely. I think, you know, in my position as being the superintendent, we have three principals as well. We have an elementary principal, middle school principal, high school principal. You know, sometimes parents will take the path of least resistance, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, my son or my daughter got in trouble in this class, so I want to talk to you about the teacher, right? Well, the first question back to that parent all the time is, have you talked to the teacher? And generally, the answer is no. Yep. And I understand you're upset. I understand that there's a situation here. But until you talk to that teacher, and I'll go with you if you want, that needs to be the first step. And if you're unable to reconcile it, I'm happy to get involved. But until that first step's made, and generally, I never hear back from the parent yep. because they've, they've understood that. They, a lot of times they say, you're right. You're right. I just need to do that. And a lot of times you can see when parents are willing to take the right steps of communication and when teachers are ready and willing to receive sometimes criticism, pushback, and respond in a way that's grace-filled, it's a beautiful picture. Yeah, It's a beautiful picture. I consider myself blessed because I think that Pastor LeFew, who went before me, he set a really good pattern for parents. You know, hey, this is the pattern. This is the, if you have an issue, go directly to the teacher. And I think that that has really paid off dividends and set a really good foundation because I'll have parents say to me, you must get a lot of emails from parents. I really don't. I really don't. And I'm very, very thankful for that because I think the foundation has been set. If there's an issue or if there's a problem, go directly to that person. You know, so... I get bypassed a lot, which is fine with me, and that's the way it should be. 
Yeah, I would think that really cuts down on the issue of gossip, Mm -hmm. whereas a school can become a gossip factory Mm -hmm. where everybody is talking behind everybody else's back to everyone except the person they're actually upset at, Mm -hmm. which is profoundly unbiblical and destructive on so many different levels. And what you're saying is you're going to use biblical principles of problem solving and insisting that the person goes to the individual that they believe offended them or failed them in some way and try to make it right at that level first. And, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't just help them solve that immediate problem, but that's a whole process mm-hmm. in place that can help them in their family, it can help them in their church life, and it can help us focus on the very unity that you talked about at mm-hmm. the beginning of our time together from Ephesians chapter 4. We don't have to make the unity. Jesus provided the unity for us Mm -hmm. through his shed blood, but we certainly have to work diligently, the Scripture says, to preserve the unity and the bond of peace. Mm -hmm. And you're saying a Christian school can make that happen. Absolutely, yeah. It's a great privilege, and we have been doing a lot more professional development with our staff about communication. Being good listeners first, I think, is a key to that. Sometimes it's difficult sometimes to just listen when a parent or a student is upset. But sometimes the reason why they're upset is something that we've done. <laughs> and for us to get all defensive does not help that situation. So establishing good communication skills like listening and speaking the truth and asking for forgiveness when it's appropriate is a great way for our staff to model not only to our students, but also to our parents. Yeah, so that's where progressive sanctification starts impacting us at an institutional level, Mm -hmm. because I was talking earlier about anthropology and believing in the total depravity of man. Well, that includes believing in the total depravity of us, Mm -hmm. and therefore we have to be open to confrontation ourselves. And if we want to become more like Christ and we want to be more pleasing to Him, we have to be willing to have not just parents, but students mm-hmm. come and speak with us about ways that they believe we may need to change as well. And that's biblical counseling in action. That Absolutely. is exactly what we're talking about. So Scott, if someone from the Christian education world, whether they're a parent or a student or a teacher or an administrator, what was listening to this, and if they came into the conversation thinking, well, yeah, maybe we need to send the, the guidance counselor to some sort of biblical counseling training, they're hearing a different message now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. All God's childrens <laughs> need biblical counseling training. Is that the bottom line? Yeah, and I think you know we are very blessed because it's such a part of our overall ministry at our church. And one of the baseline expectations that we would have for our teachers is that they would attend track one of the biblical counseling training conference. We just feel so strongly about that, you know, and having the same ministry philosophy is hugely important to our staff. And it's just made uh, indelible difference in our, in the makeup of our staff. Just the consistency and the commitment to scriptures is really, really great. Yeah. And part of the beauty is that access to this kind of training is now uh, broader than ever Mm -hmm. before. We even have uh, biblical counseling training available virtually now. And Mm -hmm. so, friend, if you're listening to this and thinking, wow, I'm the maintenance guy at a Christian school, I didn't think I needed biblical counseling training, but I can think about some dust-ups I've had with faculty or parents or administration, and maybe I need some of that too. That's exactly right. 
everyone can benefit from biblical counseling training. And if you'd like to find out what we have available, feel free to jump on the website at faithlafayette.org conferences, and you'll maybe be surprised at the great variety of ways that you can receive biblical counseling training. And if that helps you in your parenting endeavors, or if it helps you in your educational endeavors, do exactly what Scott said at the beginning. If we're all trying to direct those batons in the same way, and that same way is what is pleasing to God, then we can expect uh, results that are going to be for His glory and for our good. Hey, Scott, thanks a lot for joining us today. You're quite welcome. Thank you. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org. Or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training, go to faithlafayette.org conferences. You can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts, and you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Now, our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.